Today's podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and many more, and you can make money from your podcasts. It's everything you need to do to make a podcast in one place. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah, so the greatest magician in the world is a man named David Berglis, who's he's in his 90s now, and he used to be a superstar in the UK. He had performed magic that no one in the world could explain. Uh, and then at the height of his powers, he, he just disappeared. And years later, when I'm a freshman in college, word goes out in the magic world that the great David Berglis has written a book with all of his secrets. And I became so captivated by the way he thought about magic that I asked if I could go meet him. I said, I'd meet you anywhere in the world if we can just talk about magic for a little while. And so he invited me over to his house north of London, and, and I went there. Hey, it's Mark P. Fisher, Chief Encourager with Inspiring Growth, where we inspire growth with leaders and their brands. So today's podcast is actually part two of our fascinating conversation with world-renowned magician Nate Staniforth. So if you haven't heard the first one, listen to that and then jump back into today's podcast. But you might be asking, why a magician on the Inspiring Growth podcast, which is a great question. And simply put, I think it's because Nate has stirred in me personally a very powerful longing to see wonder in the ordinary. And I thought, hey, listen, if you're longing to grow but find yourself stuck or bored or stagnant, Maybe this conversation with Nate will inspire you to discover growth, often hidden in the ordinary. I like what C.S. Lewis once observed. He said, you don't find magic through a spell or a handful of enchanted beans. You find it just beyond the mundane and the everyday, a door behind some coats in a wardrobe that somehow leads you to Narnia. Oh, so good. By the way, before we jump into part two of Nate Staniforth's conversation, I've hand-selected today's sponsor because of the magic they perform. I know, I know, I know. Seriously, Cause Inspired Media is my partner in growing nonprofit organizations with up to $10,000 a month in free Google advertising. So to find out more, scoot over to inspiringgrowth.biz and click on the free Google ads. That's inspiringgrowth.biz. Okay, are you ready to jump into some magic with Nate Staniforth, author of Real Magic? All right, let's go. It's like being a Hemingway fan and writing Hemingway saying, hey, can we talk about books? And he says, yeah, come, come down to Florida. You know, like th there are just some opportunities where if you get the invitation, you make it happen. What, what, what was going on with you? Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I, I mean, I, I, in college, I, I read a chapter of his book every day before I'd do anything else. It, you know, I had, I had parts of it memorized. I, I spent, and, and even today, you know, magicians write a, a, a lot of books uh, to share insights and to share ideas. And even to this day, if I had to pick either 
the David Berglis book or all of the other magic books that I have. If I could only save one from a fire, I would save the David Berglis book. It's that important. He, he, he's invented ideas that no one else can even, can even approach or even, I think, understand. Like I, I've, I read this book countless times and I still get new ideas from it. So, so I go to the Berglis residence and, you know, he, he's an old, he's an old man. He was born in 1926. And, um, as he's leading me down the hall, he pauses in, in front of the door and says, we'll be uh, speaking in here, but before we go in, I just want to ask you, you're married, aren't you? I said, yeah. And he said, so, so of course you'd know your wife's favorite flower. And I'd say, yeah. I said, yes, it's, it's the peony. And he pushed open the door to the dining room and said, I love this room. And this is where, you know, this is where we'll be speaking. And there on the dining room table is this vase and the vase is filled with peonies. And so I immediately, I think this is what is going on. I'm still not like up to that point, I wondered if he was performing something, but now I see that this incredible things happened. And then, but he's not done. He walks over to the window and he says, I love this room so much because it offers such a good view of the garden. And he opens the shutters and there in the garden are two rows of peony bushes just stretching into the yard. So, so that, like that alone is the greatest piece of magic I've ever seen. Like what, what is going on immediately? You know, my mind's racing through all of the possibilities, how I would do this or, or because I'd studied his work so clearly how I think he might have done it. And I'm just, I'm getting nothing, but I didn't understand how impossible it was until later that night I called called Catherine and told her about everything that happened. So I told her the story about the peonies. And she said, Nate, that's impossible. And I said, I know it's impossible. She said, no, you don't understand. This is October. Peonies only ever bloom in May. And I just remember that feeling of like, sort of creeping awe and horror that you get in a movie sometimes, right? Like I, I, I will remember that forever. And, you know, I, I've seen a lot of great magic in my career, but nothing comes ever even close to that. Oh, I just, and then you had to like focus, like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to talk to this guy. Okay. I want to, I'd like to read a few sections from your book. Again, folks, if you sure. haven't, if you haven't seen it, here is real magic by Nate Staniforth. Um, and I'd love for you to just respond. I mean, I feel like I have a gift. You've granted me the time to chat about your life, your story, and your book. And uh, I just want to open it up for my audience. So I'm going to read a couple of things that really just struck me. I'd love for you to respond. So one of them is you said, C.S. Lewis got it exactly right. You don't find magic through a spell or a handful of enchanted beans. You find it just beyond the mundane and the everyday, a door behind some coats in a wardrobe that somehow leads to Narnia. Talk about that. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of the ideas that, that I've found in my work as a magician that I keep, it's like I can't escape it, is, is this idea that as a magician, I'm giving people the experience of wonder through the extraordinary. But in my everyday life, I find that whenever I, whenever I stop and really pay attention to something, it becomes amazing. You know, 
whether it's the night sky or whether it's the flowers in the back garden or or whether it's the sunrise when you wake up and go for a walk before you go to work right like we are surrounded on all sides by this really incredible situation that that this is here it doesn't have to be here but here it is and we're a part of it and we're all a part of it together and you know it's so easy for me to become lost in the day-to-day business of being a person being a husband being a dad being a father you know or being a dad and a father it's the same thing being a magician being a professional be, you know there there are so many obligations and responsibilities that it's really easy to get lost uh lost in those and not remember this larger reality you know that there is something rather than nothing and that we're all here to see it and be a part of it and my favorite moments are those that that sort of shake me or wake me up and and pull me out of the the story that I've been telling myself about the world and into the world itself and you can do that with a good piece of magic you can do that with a good piece of music or a good book or a good film or a conversation or you know uh, it, there there are so many ways to pierce that veil but you can also just do it by sitting in the 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 backyard you can do it looking up at the stars or you know it's more about remembering to look than where you look specifically it's funny as you say that yeah. this this reminds me as i've been reading your book and sort of living with your your words i was down at a neighbor's house a few nights ago and we were a bunch of guys from the neighborhood we gathered together and we were having fun and uh, i think we were watching the last of the march madness i'm not a basketball guy but it was you know something we would do sure and uh, when the night was over, I decided to walk back to the house and so it's, it's not a long walk, but we live out in the country. And I noticed that the sky was bright, like the stars were bright. And I did something I've never done before, probably because I've been living inside your book. I laid down on the driveway of my friend's house, again, out in the country next to a river. And I just stared at the sky. It was like it came alive. And it was something I've seen over and over and over and over and over again. But I love, I love just pausing. You, you said something in your book. You said wonder, astonishment, magic, that sense of waking up and seeing things the way you saw them before they became ordinary. Yeah. Yeah. We're really good at making things ordinary, right? I love your story about looking up at the stars and it sounds like a cliche until you try it yourself. And then it doesn't feel like a cliche at all. Then it feels like this sort of, for me, it's this, it's, it's a twofold experience. One is this sadness that, oh my God, that is there. And how have I ignored it for so long? And, and the other is just this incredible awe that, that, uh, you know, here it is and, and I am here to see it. And, I don't know what's going on, but I'm I'm sure glad to be a part of it. Mm. Something else you said I liked. Good magic isn't cool. It can't be cool. Yeah. Cool is divisive. Cool is exclusionary. Cool does not sit next to the new kid at lunch. And good magic is all about sitting next to the new kid at lunch. Talk about that. I mean, a couple of things. I think we've all seen that magician or that musician, right? Rock stars have this problem too, where they're using their art to, to deify themselves, right? To make themselves look spectacular. And 
the thing that you learn really quickly as a magician is that nobody wants to sit in a room and watch someone, you know, show everyone how cool he is or how smart he is or how clever he is. No one likes to be fooled by, by someone who's just showing off. So when magic is nothing more than look at this, I can fool you. It's, it's terrible. But when you realize that you can use your craft to give someone something of immense value, if, if your show is a gift far more than, you know, if you're, if you're giving more than you're receiving, then that's, that's when it starts to feel like magic. And so, you know, one thought that I have a lot on stage is, is how can I make this about the audience rather than about me? Because what actually matters is, is their experience, right? What actually matters is, you know, this question, am I able to, to, take this craft and give them something of value. Otherwise we're just wasting each other's time. You know, if, if they want entertainment, they have Netflix. If they want comedy, they've got HBO or TV or whatever. You know, the thing that I can give them that, that will, will matter is that sense of wonder and astonishment. And you can't get there if you're just concerned about making yourself look good. Hey, I want to pause our interview with Nate Staniforth to tell you about Cause Inspired Media. If you run a nonprofit, or as I like to say, it runs you, you might be eligible for $120,000 worth of free advertising from Google. So if you're interested in finding out if you're eligible, go to inspiringgrowth.biz and click on free Google ads, and we'll contact you to see whether or not your nonprofit is eligible for this fabulous grant from Google. Now let's jump back into the show. I mean, I'm so glad you say it like that because it's the lifelong struggle I have where I'm, I look at others first, where I, where I don't look at myself first, where I lean into the moment and the be present with the person and not worry about what I say next and, and, and just be present with people. Um, I mean, one of the things when you, you said that you talk about um, how some people just like you had a college reporter kind of call you out and how things were totally fake. And, and you're like, yeah, dinosaurs and Jurassic Park are fake. And so are the, you know, pirates and Peter Pan and Tinkerbell wasn't real, but the universe is not only made up of the facts, but you talk about what the universe is made up of that aren't just the facts. Talk a little bit about that discovery of kindness and loyalty and love and wonder. Yeah. I mean, I think, it's an interesting time to be a magician right now because we we live in a time where people can Google anything, right? So, you know, you can look up the answer to any question. Even even during the show, people can get out their phone and, and try to find the secret of what you're doing, right? And and that thinking about that problem, you know, it started just as a, a tactical problem I had to, to solve as a performer, right? Like, how can I, how can I structure my performances so people don't want to just tear them apart right away? But, but it, it started me thinking about the effect that, um, the Google ability of everything has had just on our society in general. And it, it, it does feel like it's, it's increasingly easy for us to assume that we know more than we do which is not new, but, but it's possible now to think, well, if I don't know the answer, someone else probably does. We've, we've probably got that all figured out now. Uh, I'm just going to assume that it is the way I think it is. And, and that makes it really easy to shrink the entire world down to the, to the size of your certainties. And, you know, that is safer and, and maybe more pleasant, but it, it makes it easy to miss out on, on, um, 
all that you don't know about? Talk about certainty. Cause I, you know, I come from a tribe where certainty is of high value. <clears throat> and part of, part of my journey has been on this idea that um, I think, you know, I, I'm starting to learn to say to the best of my knowledge of what I understand right now, I think this is the path. I'm not certain, but I, I think this is the path we ought to take as maybe more in my twenties, I would say for sure. Certainly this is, this is certain you can bank on it. It's, you know, like I felt like this theme of certainty and addressing certainty in your, in your work is part of sort of your journey as well. Talk, talk a little bit about that. One of the things that you notice at a pretty, pretty young age as a magician is that the easiest audiences to fool are those who are sure they know what's going on. Uh, if, if I needed to really fool an audience, I would load it with doctors and lawyers, you know, like anyone, anyone who, who maybe, um, comes from a profession where, where they are used to, um, being certain or, or, um, at least giving off an aura of certainty. And, and it, it's in those people that you see the greatest turn, right? The greatest, um, uh, flip from um, the beginning of the show to the end of the show. It has made me think a lot about the role of certainty in my own life and the times when I feel most alive and most awake are not those times where I am fully in command of everything around me, including my understand of, understanding of everything around me, but when I am forced outside um, the boundaries of my own certainty and my own um, sort of uh, confidence in in you know the situation and my place in the situation, and and yeah, it it makes you very aware and alert, and it it pulls you out of your habitual sort of mental loops, and forces you to just exist rather than um, trying to fit everything that you you are seeing into your own assumptions. You're just you're just awake and alive and alert. And I love that feeling so much. And the second half of the book deals with this trip I took to the other side of the world. I went looking for, so I, I went on this trip looking for wonder and amazement because I had become really, after five years of touring, I'd become really burnt out just traveling from city to city and, and town to town, doing my show over and over and over again. And so I wanted to reconnect with you know, the reasons I loved magic in the first place. And India has this tradition of magic that goes back thousands of years. And I wanted to see it. I wanted to feel it. I, the, I, the mission statement when I left was, I want to go be amazed. And I thought that amazement would come from the magic that I was seeing, right? The traditional Indian street magic. And I, I saw that and it was amazing. But I was struck by the by the realization that the most the the parts of the trip that felt the most amazing was not the magic it was just the process of being so far away from my centers of certainty right like when you put yourself in an entirely different culture in an entirely different place uh it it just it forces you to to be awake and and alert and and so you know I think you asked about certainty and uh yeah, I, I have become very suspicious of all the parts in my life where I'm certain and I, I'm very welcoming of those parts that are um, filled with um, not just uncertainty, but but maybe um, the realization that no certainty 
can ever be truly, truly there, right? Like if I'm certain about something, perhaps I'm not thinking hard enough about it. Mm. Well, it's as if, Nate, you read my mind because the, the section of the book about India was so uncertain and so tricky and so difficult. Talk a little bit about what you learned on your trip. I, I went with the hope of rediscovering the sense of of wonder for myself. And you know that sounds sounds sort of ridiculous until you remember that my my living is as a magician. I make my living as a, a stage performer. And a magician has to believe in the magic in some way or it it's obvious to the audience that you know, they're just they're sort of faking it. And I had become so um tired and and maybe even jaded by the process of of performing in the way that I had been performing that I wanted to just forget it all and and go away and dream it all up again. And so I I traveled to India and and I just crossed the country um looking for street performers and and um you know snake charmers and and the the traditional Indian magic that I had read so much about. Um but but became enamored with this idea of of finding magic not just in the work of magicians but in the in the everyday aspects of life that maybe I had missed while I was back home as soon as you started talking about india all i could think about was that guy who could with his musical instrument, bring a snake out of a basket and the snake goes up and then somebody pulls a line into the sky and then you can crawl up this, like you found it, you found this magic. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and the, the illusion you're talking about turns out that doesn't, that illusion doesn't exist. It was like a myth that someone threw out there like, this is the real thing. And no, right. It's a conflation of a few different pieces of magic that, that you can go there and see. Um, you know, I I saw the I, I saw some pieces of magic that I'll never forget. Um, but I just you know I keep coming back to this idea that you know those magicians are magicians just in the way that I'm a magician, and and even if I can't explain their um, even if I can't explain their magic, I know that um, I know that it is an illusion that I saw, and. And you know, I'm glad that I traveled traveled to see it. But but the parts of the trip I really remember are the people that I met and the just the snapshots of of daily life that um, are you know in some ways very different than than I have here, but in in many ways very similar. Yeah. Well, folks, I, I we could go on and on about the magic of this book and of Nate's performances. I hope that you will uh, pick up a copy of his book, Here is Real Magic, A Magician's Search for Wonder in the Modern World. Uh, take a look at him. Uh, fo- how, if folks want to reach you, contact you, see your touring dates, w- what's the best way to do that, Nate? You can go to my website. It's natestaniforth.com. That has all the, the tour dates and uh, everything I'm doing. But the book is probably the best introduction. You know, it, it says everything that I have to say about being a magician and, and searching for wonder and that the sense of magic. And uh, yeah, I, I certainly hope people enjoy it. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions about your wife and your kids. <laughs> okay. All right. What's the secret? What's the magic of being a good dad? Oh, I think a lot about... Yeah, I'll let, I mean, I guess my first answer is I'll let you know when I figure it out. But I do remember when I was young, 
sometimes wishing that my parents didn't assume they understood everything about my life and my experiences because they had had their own life and their own experiences. And, and I, I try very hard to know what I don't know about the inner lives of my, my boys and to, to find, you know, even though I know them so well, to find uh, space in my working understanding of who they are for knowing and remembering how hard it is to truly know anybody. And, uh, you know, th th think, of, think of the people that you know the very best and the people who know you the best and, and then realize all the stuff about you that, that they don't know. The, the stuff that you hope for or imagine or wonder about. And, um, you know, it's easy. It's e when you, when you um, look at that for yourself, it's easy to, to think about all the things that people don't know. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's harder to, to apply that to other people, but I'm trying. And how about your marriage? You, you say you've been married 12 years. Yeah. What are the things that keep it strong? And what are the things that, I, I like to say it this way. It, it's like, we make deposits and we make withdrawals yeah. in our relationships. What are the things that you have found really make good deposits in your relationship with your wife? Catherine and I have far more goodbyes and hellos in our relationship than I, I feel like the average relationship does just because I'm on the road all the time. And, you know, I think one thing, I think both of us would agree that that's really hard because you know, it's just going on tour is so much work and raising two boys when I'm alone, you know, when I'm on the road, Catherine's just a single parent then. And I think that's, that's very difficult for her. But I, I also think it makes it much harder for us to take each other for granted because we're always reminded about how glad we are to see each other when we're, we're together. Does that make sense? Um, there's, there's, um, a, a continual reminder of, oh yeah, this is way more fun when, when we're in the same place. It's funny because when I travel, it's it, I feel like I connect m with my wife differently, but I always am like hopeful for that moment of reconnection in real life. Yeah, Facetime or that, that kind of that kind of. I had a friend of mine said that his wife told him one time, "It's just easier when you're not home because it's more predictable." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, geez, I've been on the road too much. <laughs> one thing, just one more thought to throw out there. When I'm on tour, my hours are crazy, and um, I'm not always very much fun to talk to on the phone. Like, I know FaceTime is great in theory, but it always seems to fall on, like, sound check time or load-in time. or, or, or so, so we've started writing actual letters or, you know, emails, but um, there's something that's really special about sitting down and devoting half an hour at the end of the day towards um, putting your thoughts down to share with somebody. And uh, I, I really love that. That's been, that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Cause you're in that space exclusively thinking about that person. And I heard, I heard a writer say once, I don't really know what I think until I write it down. <laughs> wow. And I, I, I feel that sometimes I'm like the, page is blank and I've got some things I'm processing. I'm just going to start writing and Oh yeah, that makes more sense to me now. Or, you know, I'm thinking great. about this thing about you. There's qualities about my wife uh, that are exactly opposite of me, which according to my therapist is like having two sides of the same coin, if you can appreciate it. So giving yourself, giving, at least giving myself time to consider and writing and expressing in a way 
um, that, you know, that could be magical. Yeah, hey, yeah, I want to give you a yeah. chance to, to say anything else to our Inspiring Growth listeners that you wish you could have said or have come to you as we've, we've spent time together. No, I'm grateful that they've made it this far. You know, I, I am always aware that when people hear that there's a conversation with a magician, that there, there may be a certain amount of eye rolling or reticence with that. But that's all I've got to say. Thanks for listening. Oh, so good. Thank you again, Nate, for sharing your journey of wonder with us at Inspiring Growth. It's so instructive and encouraging. Hey, before you run, would you please subscribe or share or review or even become an exclusive Inspiring Growth supporter? Just click on your show notes to find out how. And thank you for Cause Inspiring Media for bringing free Google advertising magic to nonprofit leaders. If you're interested in getting started, go to inspiringgrowth.biz and clicking on free Google ads. Hey, today's podcast was edited by Dylan Garvin with the Studio D podcast production. If you love that super sick intro music, check out the folks at Punch Deck. That song is called Coalescence. They've got a YouTube channel. Check them out wherever you listen to music. Punch Deck. Thanks for listening. And if you're a leader wanting to grow your organization, reach out to me personally at inspiringgrowth.biz and let's set up a video chat. I'm Mark P. Fisher. And remember, our best connections for growth with other folks happen when we're kind, present, and ask good questions.